Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Hacksaw Ridge, directed by Mel Gibson and starring Andrew Garfield. Uh, We've had the Oscars this year and it's been highly acclaimed, which has led us to check it out. Uh, I did want to check it out last year, but never got around to it. And then just kind of watching the whole awards season, you know, I was thinking, I don't know, Andrew Garfield... I've, I've enjoyed him in so many things. Um, more, more recently, we did 99 Homes, which he was in. And, of course, we did The Amazing Spider-Man. So I was thinking he must really bring a performance in Hacksaw Ridge to be Oscar-nominated for his acting. And, uh, of course, Mel Gibson to be welcomed back and Oscar-nominated for Hacksaw Ridge for directing. I mean, we, we kind of got to check it out, you know. Heads up, spoilers for Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, we're going to discuss it in some detail. And um, you've been warned. The story of Hacksaw Ridge, you know, it's a war film, Lloyd. It's also an Australian film, because it was shot here. And it went up against The Daughter at the uh, Actor Awards, the Australian Film Awards, and The Daughter took some categories from it, including basically Best best Picture. So it narrowly missed out. I'd say it was the second best Australian film um, of the year, because I watched The Daughter and I thought it was fantastic. And there's a YouTube review people can find of my thoughts on The Daughter. Lloyd, you checked out Hacksaw Ridge. What did you think? It's obvious that Hacksaw Ridge was directed by a very nervous man. Uh, Mel Gibson hasn't directed a film since Apocalypto in 2006, and he's playing it very, very safe with uh, Hacksaw Ridge. He employs some very heavy Hollywood melodrama. I think it's to prepare audiences for a very violent set piece in the Battle of Okinawa, and with the first act of the film, it's a basic boyhood story of growing up with an abusive alcoholic father, you know, the whole boy meets girl story, and it's so damn mushy. Like, it's just the way it was shot, some of it was just so over the top, it felt like, a, it looked like a Nescafe commercial about coffee or something and family <laughs> values. Uh, you can argue it's Mel Gibson's skill um, like in crafting and pushing that nostalgic wartime period with golden co- colours, warm and inviting simple people like Andrew Garfield's character Desmond Dawes and Dorothy, um, who's played by Teresa Palmer. But I don't think that's true. I think Mel Gibson is a super talented filmmaker and I just think he's just a lot better than this. I think for his first film since Apocalypto, he's just too nervous to play it as gritty as gritty as it should have been and instead opts for this very melodramatic style and he hopes that it contrasts well with the extreme violence of Okinawa, Okinawa which we'll get to, which was extremely violent. Uh, I think he's very aware of how much the film teeters on the edge of... Um, comedy here like uh, I don't know if you felt the same way with the first act of the film that it it just seemed a bit too over the top and too nostalgic and melodramatic well this film does that thing which I don't always love where they show you something that's happening towards the end of the film 
uh, in this case it's 16 years later where we're seeing the climax of this film and then they take you back and show you his childhood and they do that in a lot of books and stuff as well where they're like you know I never thought I'd be standing next to this famous person when this happened anyway here's my childhood you know (laughs) and they take you back and they're like when I was a kid I would never have imagined growing up in blah 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 so it felt a bit like that I don't love when films do that and here it didn't feel effective didn't feel necessary I thought let's let us build up over the first hour towards the war I don't need to see him on a stretcher hurt that's a spoiler to see the whole uh you know basically what happens to him at the end the whole voiceover of the lord the lord the lord as well it's a bit soon like show us his religious and show us why yeah exactly I would have removed that entire beginning and started with him as a kid running through the woods with his brother and them saying oh them crazy kids or whatever you know that was you know five minutes into the film as it was but i don't think i would have included that little flash forward 16 years he's we seem to fly through that stuff where he grows up anyway he's not a child for long hugo weaving this is like a who's who of australian actors so hugo weaving playing the drunk father rachel griffiths as the mother the fact that he hits him with a block in that scene you know and yeah a brick or something (laughs) Yeah, like a brick or a block, and it just, like, really hurts him. I think that's the kind of, you know, childhood-shaping incident that it's it's fascinating. Like, that's a strong enough story that, you know, this whole childhood and everything works. You know, and they're preparing us for the gore gradually, so showing us that leg getting crushed with the car and the blood spurting where he bursts an artery, that's a quick bit of gore to prepare us for, like, as it's going to get more gory. And, you know, as he applies the tourniquet, you know, well done, you might have saved this young man's life. It's all foreshadowing. It's stronger. And meeting Teresa Palmer, obviously it's a meet cute. She's a nurse. He's giving blood two days in a row. I love the fact that he said, met a nurse named Dorothy, I'm going to marry her. And the mama's like, goodness, does she know that? You know? Yeah, that was exactly out of the graduate. (laughs) Yeah, but like still a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I agree. I didn't think of that. Yeah, but it was... Uh, the fact that she slaps him and he nearly gets run over twice, that whole thing had kind of a notebook feel to it, and part of it was the costuming. Part of it is in the notebook, they almost get run over as well. He's, he wants to be a medic, he's going to enlist, and she casually says, are you going to ask me to marry you or what? You know, they kind of fast-forwarded the relationship, which is essential in a film like this that goes for two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, you know? well, you say that they do fast-forward the the whole first act in the relationship, but it does go on for a whole hour, you know, at the same time. It does take a long time before we actually get to Okinawa. Well, the, the thing is they've got that few good men kind of uh, element, the courtroom ending where, you know, the special oh, last good second. Point. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's halfway through the film. So we get the build-up to the fact that he can actually go to war, you know, uh, and there's kind of a middle victory. So it's like two films in a way. And when I first watched Australia, the Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman film, that felt like two films, like part one, part two. And I got the same vibe here. Like part one of his adventure was being cleared to go to war. Part two is the war, you know? And that one hour mark is about where it splits. So the first half you can view as one film, second half as another film, because it's not as if, you know, at the end... When he comes back, you know, he doesn't come back and kind of marry her and have like an aftermath. There's no epilogue. Yeah, I read some story. review saying it was like Full Metal Jacket, uh, like structurally how it be- begins with the the training in the barracks. But I'm like, well, Full Metal Jacket does begin with the barracks and then um, the second act begins at war. But you just completely disregarded the whole first act, which was the boyhood 
the the child growing up, so it's nothing like Full Metal Jacket. Um, I, I want to say the first act's greatest strength, I think, is Hugo Weaving's character, um, Tom Doss. You know, rather than just be this straightforward, abusive, alcoholic father like you always see in movies, I thought the movie did a really good job of showing the battle scars of war. And, uh, like, mainly, of course, it's all mental with his character. For me, he has some really good moments despite being consumed by so much hate and pain and alcoholism. Like, he still fights through and tries to get his son out of being sentenced in that courtroom. And although he's probably got some, you know, uh, I don't know what that word is, agoraphobia, like afraid of facing people. Uh, I don't know what that is. Like he doesn't want to go into that courtroom. He, he's done his job as far as he's concerned. He's got the letter, but he just can't go into the courtroom to face those people, yet he still does it. And that, that was really empowering for him. And I like it when the sons fight and he gets hit over the head with the with the brick, as you say, or that block, and he's, he, he, he's sitting down having a drink. He just gets up right away and drives his son to the hospital. Those are some really good moments and I thought Hugo Weaving did a fantastic job but I did hear a lot of uh, YouTube reviews saying how bad his accent was. I don't have a good ear for accents at all. Um, I'm (laughs) terrible with accents. To me it was great but to a lot of Americans it was like oh it sounded awful and they felt a lot of that with a lot of their the actors in this movie because obviously this is an Australian made movie but set in America so you're going to have those issues of different regions and accents. I mean the character Hugo uh, Weaving plays he doesn't want to bury his sons but both his sons want to go off to war so the alternative to him helping Desmond is letting him go to prison for the duration of the war so he wants his son out but I mean as well he would have been safe uh, in prison you know he would have been alive at least He's kind of sacrificing something there. He's trying to help his kid, Desmond, like, get what he wants and uh, be free to make his own decisions. And he also bails as soon as, you know, he gives the evidence because he doesn't want to be around to have that mushy moment sort of thing, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. He's not ready to have it. Yeah, and Andrew Garfield seems to dislike him because of that big incident with the gun between the father and how much he abused his wife but yeah. he doesn't I don't think it's hate or anything like that but he always brings up his father as an alcoholic but there are so many moments that they give, the film gives Hugo Weaving of redemption like like he is a guy that's suffering from the battle scars of war that's obvious it obviously runs deep within him and he is an alcoholic but he does try you know he does get his son out of prison and he does try to help his son which uh you know a lot of movies won't do that they'll just have this alcoholic abusive shadowy father that the son just has to outgrow and beat off sort of oh, beat off. <laughs> just has to beat away and everything like that uh so credit to the film i think i thought they did a good job of showing a lot of dimensions with hugo weaving's character when Teresa Palmer gives him the Bible and says, you keep it right here where I'll be, I was so sure he was going to get shot in the heart and the Bible was <laughs> yeah, going to stop yeah. the bullet. <laughs> I, I, the, the mechanic of the Bible, oh, that, that we'll, we'll get to when we talk about the war um, scenes, but just how much he has to have that Bible with him was just a bit frustrating. Just so you know, I think all basic training in war films gets compared to Full Metal Jacket. Okay. <laughs> It's it's really hard to to, to escape yeah to escape from that shadow because <laughs> that's what it's like I guess yeah you know? it has elements of that in it I got to be honest I think Andrew Garfield had a lot of humanity in his eyes I think you know he wells up with tears and you do feel for him and I think his acting performance was pretty solid and it ticks that Oscar box of playing a real life person 
in a true story. Yeah, he, so, yeah, he does a fine job with the melodrama. Um, I personally couldn't get Silence out of my head, though. Like, uh, I think Silence is a very, very good movie, and I feel like Andrew Garfield really emptied himself in that movie. And then, he, not to put him down in this film, but it seemed like he was cruising through this movie um, a lot, like which is still great. Like his, you know, all-out all um, performance, his non-all-out performance is still pretty damn good. But I, I just feel he put so much into silence and in Hacksaw Ridge, it's just like, oh, I can I can just play it. I could just ham a, a bit here. And just those smiles he was giving to, to the nurse when they first meet, it was just like, oh, this is so hammy. <laughs> so I haven't seen silence, but obviously you have. How much uh, screen time does he get in that film? Oh, huge percentage. He's the main, main character. Sorry, it's emotionally... Uh, draining for him yeah absolutely it's uh yeah just i I think he did an absolutely fantastic job in that movie i'm just so disappointed it didn't get a lot of notice at the oscars at all like the hacksaw ridge was obviously the one they put in the forefront and you know people had to be reminded that he did another movie with martin scorsese called uh silence you know um but yeah it's the it's really uh, an amazing performance. So I mentioned uh, it's a bit of a who's who of Australian actors and a lot of people turn up in this, you know, Sam Worthington, Man on a Ledge. (laughs) I did feel like Sam Worthington's accent was tested when he was in scenes with Richard Roxburgh, who, you know, they're the two officers sitting at a table, both trying to do American accents. And I was like, oh, I don't know if Sam Worthington's (laughs) is as good. He was the biggest, um, the the Americans complained most about Hugo Weaving and, uh, of course, Sam Worthington. Yeah, you can't win them all. But (laughs) we did did import Vince Vaughn into this film, who plays the drill sergeant. And though he wasn't nominated for anything, and I'm guessing... uh, True Detective Season 2 didn't do him any favours. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the battle sequences, but I, I just felt like a lot of the soldiers in the barracks just weren't gritty enough. They just didn't go that one step further, which made them feel like real hard-bitten soldiers. I don't know. They, they just seemed to have this gentle glaze all over them. I think Mel Gibson was too afraid to make you hate any of the soldiers. Um, even Vince Vaughn, this drill sergeant that you just want to hate, he just see, he just he's given so many nice moments where he's like, "Oh, come on, son, let's just give this up. I'll just walk you away, and we can forget all this. There's no shame in that sort of thing." It's just rather than being so brutal, it's just like, "What? Why aren't you picking up a gun and just just do the basic training? That's all we ask." <laughs> uh, well, at the thirty minute mark, we arrive in the army camp and. We have a gentleman doing naked chin-ups, <laughs> who they call Hollywood, and they all have clever lines, uh, clever names like Hollywood and Lucky. The guy playing Hollywood doing the naked chin-ups, who kind of turns out to be a bit of a pussy when they get to war, <laughs> he's actually played by this guy called Luke Pegler, and he was in this six-part doco series called Next Stop Hollywood, and they followed around six Australian actors going to Hollywood for pilot season, and. They followed Luke Pegler, he's one of the guys. And he comes off in that show like the... That was what I knew him from. I was like, oh, hey, it's that guy from Next Stop Hollywood. And I've forgotten his name. But they have him and this younger, more handsome guy, uh, who's kind of, I don't know, more Chris Hemsworth-esque, I suppose. They have the other guy getting all the auditions and Luke Pegler kind of playing pool and having just one audition that day. And they sort of portrayed him as if he was the guy that wasn't going to be a success. (laughs) which I'm guessing maybe drove him to be more successful. 
He's also in a series of light and easy ads uh, on Australian television as well. <laughs> but they had um, him in that just, you know, it's fascinating that he's sort of doing uh, this film and I spotted him. Uh, but Faraz Durrani's in this, you know, and he also kind of doesn't live very long, doesn't last. Ryan Kaur is, um, when we get to war scenes, we'll discuss his, his death, but he's in like two or three scenes. There were so many people that he employed in this, and it felt a bit like uh, Saving Private Ryan, where it was like, oh, hey, that's Ted Danson. Oh, look, it's Vin Diesel. You know, like so many people just turned up that you get the feeling they're all going to have their own little careers. You're going to look back on Hacksaw Ridge and be like, whoa, there's so many people in this, that that's what's going to be its like lasting appeal. Also, it has Milo Gibson in it, which is the sixth son of Mel Gibson. Or sixth child of Mel Gibson, I guess, as Lucky, and I feel like this might be the debut of his acting career. It is, and and if he does well, then this will be the film you look back on and go, "Oh wow, the guy lowering Des at the end of the film is Milo Gibson." Just felt like this has a lot of foreshadowing. I feel like Hacksaw Ridge. I find it so hard not to laugh at Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, where he calls the you know private idiot, the guy with the knife in his foot. <laughs> Move your privates, private parts to the naked guy, you know, just sort of, it's comical. He's a funny guy and I like him in his comedies. So it was so hard. It's so hard for me to take him seriously. Do you find that? Yeah, no, I, I thought he was uh, actually really good as the drill sergeant. I just had issues with him once we got um, to Okinawa, the battle there, um, which we'll get into. I just found him a bit too awkward physically. I don't think he's a good physical actor at all there's just i don't know if it, if he's just too tall or or just sonic about his movement just it seems a bit off as a comedian he's some of his delivery of lines it just has a very comedic tone but i do like it how it was it had a little bit uh, a, a tinge of um cruelty to it as a, as a drill sergeant I, th- I, I thought he was a really good drill sergeant i found it really strange that his character and sam worthington's character were even in battle yeah, they f- yeah. They felt like the supervisors, you know, who train them and then see them off. Yeah, that's right. It was odd to me that, yeah, they were even but there. But it added a more fatherly aspect. Like these guys have taught these um, soldiers. They're like um, their children, you know, when they go into battle, they really care for each of their the, the men they're fighting alongside, like as each of them die or they have to leave them behind. They're like, oh, I really don't want to because I've just gone through several weeks of training with these guys. These are like my men. So it's interesting. Yeah, usually I thought that was going to be the case where these guys just train them and it's like a meat grinder. They just keep training battalion after battalion. But to see them actually go with this crew makes you understand why they were so resistant to Desmond Doss, somebody who won't hold a gun and, you know, protect them and help protect their men because he would be an asset and he could effectively cause a lot of um, uh, problems for them out in the field. Well, yeah, he can't protect his fellow man and that sort of thing. I think the marketing hurt this film for me. Um, You know, the shot where he like kicks the grenade grenade, and that's like a really pivotal moment is in the trailer. I feel like the entire plot is in the trailer. Uh, And in the description on IMDb, it says, World War II American Army medic Desmond T. Doss, who served during the Battle of Okinawa, refuses to kill people and becomes the first man in American history to receive the Medal of Honor without firing a shot. And you're like, okay, well, that's the whole movie. <laughs> I felt like it was really hard to avoid knowing what this was about, you know, which it didn't help because I just kept waiting 
for the beats. You know, I knew he was going to war. I, I knew he wasn't going to fire a shot. I knew he was going to live because he gets the medal. You know, it's, um, it's spoiled a little in the marketing. But I think Mel Gibson's been really economical here because this had a budget of $40 million, yeah, which yeah. seems modest, doesn't it? Absolutely, especially in this modern day and age. Um, Forty million is nothing, and you want to do an epic three-act um, war movie, just just pretty amazing. Like he he didn't have much of a budget to do Braveheart as well, from what I hear. I don't have the numbers, but from memory, he was um, you know he worked his butt off on on Braveheart, and that film looks absolutely incredible. We better get into the war stuff, man. So an hour and four minutes in, we land in Okinawa, nineteen forty-five. We've had our courtroom scenes, a few good men, a men of honour type of thing. And, you know, he wasn't allowed to get married because he didn't pass basic training. That all happens. He finally gets into the basically what we'll call part two, which is the full-on maggot-infested war. <laughs> well, this is some of the worst action scenes, uh, easily one of the worst war movies I, I, I've, I've seen in a long time. I, I have to say that right off the bat before we get into the actual battle scenes. Firstly, the special effects um, to me looked terrible. Uh, um, when we saw the flamethrower going off and incinerating Japanese soldiers towards the end of the film, uh, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like all the smoke and flames look so fake. And I can tell when a visual effects person has dragged and dropped the smoke effect into the timeline. And, and you can really notice it here. Like well, we've had smoke in cinema since the birth of a nation by D.W. Griffith, the birth of cinema. It can't be that hard to put smoke in, in movies. There's just something so organic and real that film rendering just can't do right when you put it next to live action. Uh, I, I can always notice. I don't think it's the case for uh, modern most audience members, but for me, I, just, it, I can always tell fake fire and fake smoke. And, and I know this isn't a big-budget film, as we've discussed, especially by today's standards, um, but it can't be that expensive to hire a big smoke machine and just shoot that everywhere. <laughs> and I, I hated the fake digital blood that would shoot out of everyone who got hit. Uh, I just find it so annoying. And unfortunately, a lot of great action filmmakers are, are, are use, using this, like especially one of my personal favorites, Michael Mann, employs that technique a lot, especially in his recent work. Um, it seems like only Tarantino is the one who's actually using squibs, like what you saw in Django Unchained uh, and, of course, uh, The Hateful Late. Um, and the ridge itself, I thought that looked really bad. Um, the, the effects got worse as it went on. Like when Doss was trying to get Hal down to safety uh, from the ridge, it just looks all green screen, like how he was up there looking, oh, is he all right? Is he getting down? And the Japanese soldiers are closing down on him. And then he jumps off and the Japanese soldiers are firing down at the Americans. The Americans rally and fire up. It, it To me, that whole thing looked really bad. I don't know about you. I thought it looked like a set. It had a vibe of a set. You know, that's, that was what stood out most to me, you know, the fake rock look. To be honest, I thought a couple of the shots were really effective of the, um, the action, and one of them was when a bomb goes off and the feet go flying towards the camera. Oh, I didn't even notice that. There was one where, like, a bomb falls and hits these people who are running, and then these feet fly right towards you in the camera. And um, I was like, you know, yikes, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> I didn't hate when they were using torsos as shields and, you know, there was the figure in the tree, they couldn't see anything. 
I get that the smoke is a bit whatever, after effects or whatever you said. The way they used the flamethrower was just a bit boring, maybe. Shooting the gas pack off the flamethrower was something. Yeah, but that, that's always a setup. When you see a flamethrower, yeah. eventually he's going to get shot at and blown and into And he pieces. turned around perfectly for it, like it was very staged. When he was just sort of blasting flames, I didn't think it really was anything. Like, uh, I didn't really even register as, like, a great effect, I suppose. Well, but what about at the very end when they're, you know, overrunning the Japanese? Oh, when they're down the tunnels. Yeah, didn't that look all fake to you? Like, yeah, that actually oh, did that look fake. Oh, that looks so yeah. bad. And they just kind of... Ran. It looked like they reversed the shot. They showed it one way, they showed it another. It was two different takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same shot, but just they recycled it. Yeah, and it's two different takes where they ran slightly different ways. The, the choreography for me was the biggest criminal here. It's like... I don't want to put all the actors down, but it just seemed like they didn't go through basic military training just to have some believability in their movement. I mean, how every soldier was holding their gun, it just looked wrong. Uh, I know we're in the digital age and it's actually becoming rarer for an action movie to use guns with blanks now. Um, mm. In movies, they often now use just replica guns and the the actors will have to fake that they're they're actually firing the gun, and then they add the muzzle flares later. I, I didn't know that. I, I thought quite often they use actual guns with blanks, but that's actually becoming rarer and rarer because it's easier and cheaper to put on muzzle flares rather than get a gun, uh, rather than get it full of blanks. And it's probably more dangerous to have blanks in guns now and, and firing off. And also squibs are becoming rare. Um, as well, it's cheaper to put them in post. So a lot of those um, squibs that are going off as the camera's panning and gunfire exploding next to the actors and they're just avoiding gunshots, that's actually put in in post and stuff like that, which just takes away a lot of the believability for me. And I think uh, it's really hurting action scenes more and more. And a lot of the soldiers here look like they were holding very light guns. They di It didn't look heavy. And that's something um, Christopher Nolan is always worried about. He knows... He always talks about the weight of a gun. You, you can always tell the threat of a gun by how much it weighs, and you can see it in the actor, how they're holding the gun, if it's a real one or a fake one. And he, he talks about that, if you guys are curious, on the, the following um, audio commentary. Really, really fascinating commentary. Um, and that moment you talked about where the soldier picks up a torso of a dead body and uses it as a shield... Um, with one hand I really hated that like that might have happened that might have been based on fact but I just hated how the soldier was uh, holding a pretty heavy weapon and with one hand he guns down like five or six Japanese soldiers and that looked like a really heavy gun I just find it hard he can hold half a dead, a dead body as a shield and with another hand like Arnold Schwarzenegger gunned down with great accuracy several Japanese soldiers it just took me completely out of it. Like, I could have maybe believed one, maybe two, but five or six soldiers? Come on, man. That's Like, this, this movie is really made for the Call of Duty generation. It treats the violence like a video game and it's shown with a lot of spectacle but I think very poor craftsmanship and that, again, might be due to the budget because I think... Mel Gibson's a very, very good director. And I, I don't think Saving Private Ryan is a good war movie. I think it has the best war scenes like, like ever shot. It really changed how war movies were made. You had like, uh, I don't know, Coppola's Apocalypse Now, Oliver Stone's Platoon, and Saving Private Ryan by Steven Spielberg. And um, I think Hacksaw Ridge is going in the wrong direction with over-the-top 
splatter, digital effects, bullet wounds, squibs, fires, digital smoke, you know, and bad choreography to go with it. I, I was never really engaged into the... In, I, I just found the violence too over the top and poorly made. I can appreciate uh, the digital blood looking a bit cheaper and different. I mean, I did notice that. Yeah, I think probably for me, what they're trying to do here is not glorify war uh, because the main character is, you know, against killing and kind of making a point that this is a different kind of war film. But of course, there's still going to be those kind of senseless, violent moments. And uh, we're still going to get, I suppose, the, the extreme gore here. You can't have a war film be credible and not show this stuff. So you know, short of method acting, killing all the actors on screen, you know, Mel Gibson's not going to be able to get these effects practically. You know, how can you blow someone's legs off or, um, you know, shoot someone in the head with squibs, you think? Like, you should have done all practical ones. That's not going to keep to the $40 million budget. No, it'll blow it out, definitely. So, you know, for what he's done here, and I think it was shot in 59 days or something, this has been quite economical and somewhat of a success. But. Yeah, I think it's a huge success. I'm so surprised with how much audiences and film critics loved and embraced this movie. I heard it had a 10-minute standing ovation for one of the film festivals, arguably because all the filmmakers and cast were there, but it had a 10-minute standing ovation. and wow, a lot after of five, you've got to be like, whoa, what are <laughs> Yeah, we we're still clapping. <laughs> after one minute, I'd be like, what? A lot of film critics I trust, sorry, really adore this movie and I, I just personally hated the melodrama. I couldn't see through it. I just found it so painfully mushy. And the war scenes I found to be just a bit cheap, a bit childish, um, just with how much gore there is. And I, I get what you're saying, like he's trying to show how awful war is, and that really came across. So I guess it worked. But every time I, every time I saw a, a cheap special effect, I was really taken out of it. I, I just think the worst thing... Uh, could happen to a filmmaker who's so afraid uh, to to who's so nervous and and not willing to take risks is that you get a success out of playing it by the numbers and that's what happened with Hacksaw Ridge Mel Gibson's back in the game now he's I think he's got his confidence back and the worst case scenario for him is that it was a success because I don't think we're going to see an apocalypto it's scheduled um, on his IMDb berserkers next I'm assuming it's like a Vikings movie so I'm hoping the old Mel Gibson comes back and makes a real uh, hardcore movie that's just so out there. Apocalypto, I've never seen anything like it. It was just a completely alien world and it really had me from the start to the end and I, I can only hope that this movie Hacksaw Ridge was like a one for them and now I'm going to do a personal movie but I just feel throughout Hacksaw Ridge he's a, this is the work of a very nervous director who's playing it safe, who knows you know, how to do violence, who knows how to do all the basic traits. And this film is a huge success and I just feel he's going to employ the same techniques in his next movie. Did you ever see the Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell movie, Daddy's Home? No. So have you seen the trailer or are you aware of it no, at all? No, not at all. All right, well, it was um, Will Ferrell's dating uh, this mum with a couple of kids. He's basically going to marry her and become their stepdad. Then the real dad, the biological father, Mark Wahlberg turns up and he's super cool and they basically have a rivalry uh, to see who's the best dad and it's called Daddy's Home. It's sort of funny. Uh, they're doing a sequel. And in the sequel, 
It's going to be their dads in it or in it too. And so Mark Wahlberg's dad will be played by Mel Gibson. And Will Ferrell's dad will be John Lithgow, I believe. But I think it's going to be... It's a comedy, so they're going to attempt to endear Mel Gibson to us by having you know, poking fun at himself and playing like a hardened bad guy or whatever. Uh, and I suppose that'll be the first sort of step past this to redemption where, you know, this is showing us he can still critically make an action war film that touches, you know, some people, I suppose, emotionally and, you know, has a, a well-meaning hero in at the center of it. And then the next move is, you know, showing us that he can poke fun of himself and, you know, towards forgiveness. Beyond that, Berserker looks like another kind of action movie, so... Okay, I so I, th- I thought just it might be a Vikings movie, so it's just... It's possible. Yeah, and yeah. I love it how he tries, when he makes these movies like Passion of the Christ, which I really respect, a lot of people didn't like that movie at all, and Apocalypse, I love it how he tries, he shoot, he makes it with that authentic language. He's not afraid to go, oh, no, we we got to have it all with English with an English um, accent in English, English, you know. He's not afraid to shoot it in whatever language that is and it just adds this authentic quality that you're locked into this different world. And for me, a lot of the times the subtitles are are distracting. You can't see the performance so because you're reading it all the time and at the end you go, wasn't that performance amazing? But you didn't actually see it. You were reading the subtitles a lot of the sides of the crucial scenes. Oh, one thing I've got to say about Hacksaw Ridge, I hated that moment where he was praying just before the attack and all the whole army was waiting for um, Doss to finish praying. Before that, I found that so corny, Dave. <laughs> well, I mean, that was when it was getting a bit cheesy, wasn't oh, it? Oh, man. And then, then, as you say, he kicks the grenade and, you know, it's this whole bloodbath of the Japanese being overrun and finally um, uh, finally, the Americans winning. And then you had that intercutting of the Japanese soldier giving up and committing suicide, you know, ceremoniously, you know, in, the, in that samurai-esque sort of way. And then you see Doss get injured and they all rally to get him out of there. And then, you know, it's like he's... And a, grab his Bible. And grab his, and grab my Bible. Where's my Bible? And, and, and then you got that ascension moment, like he's being lifted up into the heavens. And I think just after that, he's washing... Oh, it might it might have been that when he first gets out oh, of the earlier, wheelchair. Yeah, yeah sorry. Like, yeah, it's the baptism. You know, he's mm-hmm. being washed. You're just like, wow. You know, I, I like religious imagery. I'm not against it, but it, it wasn't subtle enough for me uh, in this film. Yeah, I can I can see what you're saying. The baptism and and the heavy sort of religious metaphors. I mean, they're not going away because that's who it is. For me, there's a scene where he bonds in the hole on that first night with his sort of former enemy, Smitty. And they share a few stories about drunk dad and you know, learn a bit about each other. And they sort of flash back to that, you didn't kill him scene. In my heart, I did. And you sort of get his motivation. And then like day two, he gets killed. <laughs> and all that bonding with Smitty, you know, goes out the window. Um, one death that really got to me was the Ryan Core one, because he's hardly in the film. He's all, he's the guy who one of the Japanese soldiers pushes a grenade at him and is yelling and there's that kamikaze style taking out your enemy at the same time as yourself. I thought that death was, you know, fairly brutal <laughs> and blew their bodies up. But, um, yeah, this is kind of the nature of war and you don't know which characters are going to survive um, because so much of them are kind of cannon, cannon fodder. The only time I got emotional in this movie was just 
and and I think Mel Gibson did a really good job at this. And credit goes to, of course, um, Andrew Garfield was just how much heart. Doss had he just kept trying and trying and trying I know he has that big moment just one more just one more but he's just his body is exhausted he's taken so much crap you know no one wanted him there and he just he despite it all he just keeps trying and trying to drag out the body that's when I was getting really emotional it's like oh wow like th- this guy's you know really giving it all and I'd love to see Mel Gibson or or someone do Simpson and his donkey that uh, in the war memorial I don't know the full story but there's a beautiful statue of it which really enchanted me when I was young I um, in Canberra we have the war memorial and there's this beautiful statue of Simpson and his donkey, and I think it was World War One, where oh geez, I, I, I actually don't know my facts at all, but where he was carrying, I think a similar thing. He, he him and his donkey were just always there just to help out the soldiers, you know, carrying all these wounded soldiers back um, to safer grounds away from the battle. So uh, I'd love to see love to see an adaptation of that with like the the scale of uh, Hacksaw Ridge. You know, the funny thing about the story of this character is that it's basically. Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. He runs back and forth into the war zone and keeps carrying people out and he gets a medal for I, it. I love that scene in uh, Forrest Gump. A lot of people think it's cheesy, but when it comes on, it there's something about Forrest Gump that just gets me. Um, and I, I understand the people who absolutely can't stand Forrest Gump, but for me, it works. For me, my favourite part of this film, and I, I didn't dislike it, maybe it was a little long and maybe it did feel like two different films and I definitely would have cut that bit at the beginning, which spoils what happens was maybe the sniper shots um i do enjoy sniper war movies uh enemy at the gates for example um and where he grazes the helmet and uh, at that time you know vince vaughn's trying to see where the sniper is and provide cover fire i didn't hate that that felt nice and tense even though i did know that he was going to survive the whole time i didn't like it when he's being dragged and uh, it just felt like vince vaughn couldn't miss and he never runs out of ammunition and all the Japanese soldiers can't hit him at all and they're all getting shot out. I was just like, oh, come on, guys. And I, I, I can't even remember a soldier reloading their weapon in this movie. It, like in Saving Private Ryan, they always made a point of their guns running out of ammunition. Like ammunition was a huge, huge factor, as it is in all wars, all skirmishes. And you'd, you'd see them fire their gun and then that um, pin would go bang, 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 ping, and that would signify they've run out of ammunition. Time uh, to reload. Yeah, Spielberg did a fantastic job of subtly implying um, that ammunition was scarce and at, at the very end just how important that character was I, f- I forget his name but running from each squad to each squad to provide ammunition otherwise they're dead without it um, was just fantastic one of the best choreographed war movies ever I don't think Save a Prime Run is a good movie by the way but the, the action scenes are fantastic nothing like that nothing of that level in Hacksaw Ridge but again as you say Dave they did a very good job considering the budget and look it is as you put it, like him playing it safe. He had to to kind of address that ultra-violent element of a war film and so many body parts and intestines and things uh, that we sort of see. This film would put off some audiences, so for it to be nominated for Academy Awards and everything means that it's going to get an audience. And uh, it does also mean that it's out now on DVD and Blu-ray and uh, you can check out Hacksaw Ridge at any time you like, because it's out there now, and I'm guessing there'll be some special features that I haven't investigated what they are. That's a really good point, Dave. It just bespeaks of how much skill Mel Gibson has, because 
this movie, the bottom line, this Hacksaw Ridge is a huge success and the fact that he went in the direction of having so much melodrama at the beginning to get to invite the audience in so it appeals to a wide audience as possible and then the impact of that very gruesome battle scene in war where it's, to me, it felt like a video game but it was so impactful that that, that contrast um, of melodrama and the ultraviolence worked really well. So, you know, what am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it had some flaws. I, I wondered when Sam Worthington said, I've never been more wrong about somebody in my life. If Mel Gibson was <laughs> hoping people would say that about him uh, <laughs> post-film, you know. <laughs> what do you think about having the actual people at the very end of the movie? We actually see Doss... I think it works. Yeah, for me, I love that. A lot of people don't like that technique. I love it. I loved it in Rush when we see the actual people who they were based on and they're talking about the characters and stuff. I love it. It just adds this authenticity to it and makes me emotional going, wow, these are actual people. It just reminds you of who these people actually were. And uh, um, a recent movie I saw which I really, really liked was Sully. They did the same thing in that, and it just adds, oh, yeah, this actually happened. Wow, that's the actual person there. And and just so that you, the movie, like you're watching all these people playing the, these real-life people, but to see them at the end of the movies reminding you of, oh, by the way, this is what they look like, this is who they are, is just a really, really nice touch. Just by the way, this really happened as well. Like in case you forgot over two hours that this was a true story, for us to see him, the fact that he grew to be 87, you know, and died in March 2006, it's like, you know, it does push the idea that he thought somebody was watching over him and, like, you know, easily he could have been shot so many times. And if, in fact, things played out the way they're dramatised here, you feel like he was the only one saving everyone and, and like, very self-sacrificing and honourable and interesting character he got to play so i love it how all those soldiers as well were like oh, i really regret saying all those things i said about him he was actually a really good guy and he's really brother that was really cool and they probably regretted beating him up <laughs> you know oh no sorry he didn't say he got beaten up uh he's yeah. just a real hard that, sleeper that was cool i like that how he said yeah yeah, yeah that was awesome and honorable vince, yeah and vince vaughn was just like oh okay i, I think i finally get him well he's starting to get him isn't he yeah <laughs> But when he comes back and he's like, geez, cornstalk, full of surprises. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hacksaw Ridge. You can find more from us at podmeifyoucan.com. There's an archive of stuff there. There's a search bar at the top. If you want to know, you know, oh, what did they think of Sam Worthington on Man on a Ledge? Just type Man on a Ledge. <laughs> if you want to see uh, 99 Homes or Amazing Spider-Man, type it into that search bar and chase those episodes, which we've uh, done in previous years. Next time on the podcast, we will be watching Lego Batman. And you can always check out our review of the Lego movie, which is also something we did previously on Podme If You Can. And uh, there's a link at podmeifyoucan.com to our YouTube channel, which, Lloyd, I will get you to pitch to people. Guys, we've been doing a YouTube channel now for a few years. Um, excerpts from our podcast. So if you're a big listener of the podcast, you can... Um, check out some highlights with some interesting visuals as well uh, from the podcast. But mainly we got there is a, a Pod Me If You Can uh, YouTube a series that we, where we review obscure movies but with famous stars 
And often these movies are found at, you know, the bargain bins at Target or Big W or whatever the equivalent of those big um, shopping centers in where, where you live. And the, a lot of these movies we review are terrible. Uh, oh, gosh, they're really hard to sit through. But we, we review them in about, you know, five to ten minutes and we give you a good overview of what they are so you don't you often have to see them. But it's a really surprising to see where some of these actors – uh, famous stars begin and sometimes sadly where they end um, in these uh, obscure movies but they're really really interesting nevertheless so you can find that at youtube.com slash podme if you can and uh, the month of may what we'll be doing is friends month so uh, head over and subscribe and throughout the month of may we're going to be launching episodes of obscure films each with a member of the cast of Friends, so all six major players in Friends. Uh, so we'll speak to you next week on Pod Me If You Can for the Lego Batman movie. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews. <laughs>